Hello and welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast brought to you by Funcalibur. I'm James Yardley and today I'm joined by Mithran Sudhir, the manager of the Goldman Sachs India Equity Portfolio. Thank you very much for joining us today. Right, thanks, James, for having me. So, uh, Mithran, you've been investing in India for a number of years. Um, what have been the key changes in your view over the past decade in particular? Sure. I'd say over the last 13 years that GSAM has been investing in India-dedicated funds, Obviously, there has been significant evolution of the capital markets and, frankly, the economy as a whole. So the economy has grown by about 120% cumulative over the last decade alone, taking it from about the 12th biggest economy about 10 years ago to the fifth largest economy today. And over that time frame, market cap has grown by the tune of 250%. More importantly, income per capita has also almost doubled, lifting 250 million people out of poverty into the middle class. When I look at some other empirical stats, like India has the cheapest data in the world, but internet penetration today, even after increasing tenfold, still stands at about half a billion users. Smartphone penetration has picked up. There has been rapid digitalization. E-commerce has grown from about a billion dollars 10 years ago to $20 billion today, but this still represents less than 10% of retail sales. So there is still significant potential and room to grow. You could make the same arguments about infrastructure as well. CAGR growth in the range of about 20% has been witnessed and India has benefited from that. The one thing I would point out that hasn't changed dramatically over that time frame, even as the economy has grown meaningfully, is the alpha generation potential that India offers to active managers such as ourselves. Right. I think we've still, over the last decade, delivered in the range of 4.5-5% net alpha. And I don't think, looking at the next 10 years, I'm quite certain that we're well-placed to continue to do that. And, and why is that, do you think? Is, is the market just less efficient there? or Absolutely. Uh, I think it's, it's, India tends to be a fairly entrepreneurially driven market. Uh, we do tend to have lower state ownership. There is a scarcity of capital in that sense. So money typically being allocated for maximization of ROEs tends to chase the most profitable projects which then leads to significant ROEs, higher earnings growth over the cycle. And that has played out irrespective of, of the government that has been in power. Uh, and when we think of India, there's, there's often a lot of talk about Modi. Um, he's obviously been in charge for a while now. He's made a lot of changes um, to try and make doing business easier. Um, do you think he's succeeded? And what do you think are the best two or th three things he's achieved? Sure. I'd say the headline stat here is looking at the World Bank's ease of doing business rankings. We have seen a meaningful improvement. So going back to 2013, we were not even in the top 140 countries out of 190 in the world. Today, we sit in the top 70. So yes, there has been a meaningful improvement. But beyond just kind of the optics, there are a lot of nuances that go into it. Let's say you were to pull up a few big bang reform measures that the government has announced in the last, let's say in their first term in office or in the last year, uh, we have seen significant measures such as the nationwide goods and services tax that was rolled out, 
uh, a very strong bankruptcy code that was enacted, better calibration of central bank policy and inflation targeting mechanism that was agreed with the central bank and the government. Uh, additionally, looking at the last one year alone, you've seen in since the government has come back into power, you've seen significant tax rate cuts as well. Yes. I think that corporate tax reform was a big catalyst for the markets at the back end of last year. And that makes India at par with other emerging markets and regional peers for any business, for international businesses. But then more importantly, for new manufacturing companies, the corporate tax rate was halved, which makes India one of the cheapest kind of operating environments from a taxation perspective, at least within its peer group. Uh, although I think maybe I'd probably add as well that it hasn't been without its fair share of hiccups. Anytime these kind of major structural reforms that are enacted do tend to cause um, some degree of adjustment within the economy. And I think we've seen that in the last uh, about four or five years with things like the goods and services tax or demonetization yes. has, have been fairly disruptive. And especially that rural part of the economy has struggled to adapt to it. A lot of those small and medium businesses have struggled to adapt to it. But I also do think for us as active managers, there is a significant potential there to play the consolidation of industries trade where organized companies gain market share over that time frame. Market leaders consolidate share from smaller peers. And that's another significant trade that we've benefited from. Great. Uh, and many people talk about India as being the new China um, in that one day it will lead the world in growth. Do you agree with that? I do in some ways. If you looked at just the sheer volume of people in the country, I think India is clearly comparable to China in that sense. When you look at the third biggest country, third biggest economy, uh, or third biggest country by population, I should say, uh, clearly there's a significant drop from where China and India are today. So I do think from a consumption economy perspective, we'll definitely infrastructure perspective, we'll undoubtedly be a, a world leader. Uh, if you look at what China did in the last 30 years, I think it's been phenomenal from an economy perspective, and obviously the population has benefited from that. I do think India will take a slightly different route getting there because of the nature of the political setup. Uh, it is a democratic country with appropriate institutions in place. There are things that China can and has achieved that India might struggle to get that degree of consensus and when you're coming back to the vote bank once in five years. But there is hope here in that even if India does grow, uh, maybe the stat to highlight is um, looking at demographics, China's demographics in terms of labor force uh, growth uh, peaked, or China's labor force peaked in the last decade. Yes. India's labor force will peak in the 2040s. So to me, I think that's a significant that that gives you a sense of India being almost three decades behind China in that sense. The difference here is obviously by virtue of being entrepreneurially driven and private capital being the driving decision factor for investments, for uh, growth. I do think the difference here is even while the population locally benefits, international investors can participate in India's growth 
in a way that they haven't necessarily benefited from in China's case to the same degree. And uh, what sort of opportunities are there today? Uh, are infrastructure or urbanization themes? Absolutely. So over the last 10 years, as I mentioned, there have been significant investments into, into CAPEX. If you think about road, roadways, railways, uh, power projects, there have been incremental capital. These segments are growing in the range of 20% over the last 10 years. So, so undoubtedly that will, that will benefit. Again, as I say, the difference between India and China in that respect will really be the private allocation of capital, public-private partnerships that the government will undertake. Those are the you know, growth drivers. And as investors, we do stand to benefit from those themes. Uh, again, if I could cite a couple of stats here, it would be railway, roadways have doubled in the last decade. Um, total power generation has more than doubled in the last decade. Within that, if you think about solar power or uh, wind power, uh, these have increased again by a multiple factor. So solar power has uh, installed capacity of solar has increased by four times. Uh, wind power has increased by 10 times. So there are significant positive benefits that, uh, that India offers in that sense. Uh, so we do tend to be a lot more domestically oriented in our investment style. And we do think the structural opportunity set in India leans itself, lends itself very well to domestic growth, be it through the financial sector or be it through consumer facing or even domestic industrial businesses, or even in what you'd perceive as an external looking sector like materials. We tend to find a lot more ideas among cement companies, for instance, building materials that are catered to domestic uh, affordable housing programs and infrastructure projects, as opposed to the traditional heavy duty metals and mining industries. Uh, and India is a big place. Do you get to travel all over the country? Absolutely. So for us, we've always been of the opinion that in an alpha rich market like India, it's absolutely essential to have that local presence. Uh, in our case, we've got a very strong team that's based in Mumbai, deep domain expertise with about 14, 15 years of experience on the team, um, seasoned sector specialists that conduct meetings. Uh, we think from a governance perspective it's, as well, within emerging markets in general, there is a very strong incentive for us as active managers to make sure our analysts are based locally and conduct supply chain visits, meet competitors, distributors, industry experts to cross-check and vet statements from management. We do think that's an integral part of our engagement process and that's what has been one of our key success drivers. The fact that we're cross-referencing everything that we hear from management with what we see on the ground I think is one of the reasons why we've been able to avoid significant the number of ESG related controversies that have existed within emerging markets more broadly and India yes. specifically as well. Great. Um, and are you seeing any opportunities in financial companies at the moment? I think so. From a market perspective, we've seen significant correction within financials over the last three, four years. 
Uh, a lot of that has to go back to some of the legacy issues with the sector, especially as going back to 2011, 2012, a lot of the new project approvals had stopped, environmental clearances had stopped coming through. And since then, a lot of the state-owned banks that were exposed to these projects first had NPL-related issues. Mm -hmm. Since then, it seems to have spread into some of the private sector commercial banks. And even as recent as last week, we've seen uh, a couple of examples or one particular example of this. And then finally, I think uh, the non-banking finance segment is something that uh, struggled with the uh, with the default of one of the large NBFCs in the country. Since then, there has been a general aversion towards investing in these businesses, and irrespective of their individual asset qualities, I think that NBFC trade was fairly indiscriminate. Uh, however, there there are green shoots of of hope in that A, the retail part of the Indian banking segment has still held up quite well throughout this um, throughout the last few years. Uh, the second aspect is a lot of those private sector commercial banks began to bottom out at the back end of last year. And since then, we've started seeing you know, at least the NPL slippage reduce and earnings growth begin to come through. And even with the state-owned banks and non-banking finance companies, a lot of the measures announced by the finance minister in, in the third quarter of last year, uh, post-elections or post-re-election, have come back to you know, provide some kind of support to that sector. And all of this at a point where the central bank has been adopting a fairly loose monetary policy because the inflationary environment has been benign for most of last year. Now, finally, those rate cuts that were announced last year are beginning to feed through into the underlying economy. So we do remain quite hopeful that these financial companies, especially within the private sector, which is where the vast majority of our interest lies, um, are well poised to recover and be the drivers of this next leg of growth we're anticipating. Great. Well, uh, thank you very much for joining us today, Mithran. No problem at all. Thank you for having us. I'm James Yardley, and if you'd like more information on the Goldman Sachs India Equity Portfolio Fund, please visit fundcaliber.com and don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast. Please remember we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at your time of listening. <laughs>